Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. We talk about empowerment quite a bit on this podcast because empowerment is part of the core reason for this podcast edition. It's part of the core motivation for this show. In order to do what we really want to do, we need to be empowered. And lack of empowerment is something that prevents a lot of people from achieving your best life, from going after what it is you really want. Our world is full of disempowering scenarios, disempowering talk, and disempowering messages, whether it be from a really old school, traditional hierarchical work environment, whether it be from the media, the news, or whether it be from some of your well-meaning friends that have adopted a, a victimhood or doomsday disempowered mentality. So we actually need to, no matter where you are on your journey, be consistently looking into what we can do to counteract a lot of those messages that we're going to find in that ambient world. My guest today is here to help talk about some of these subjects. Jewel Ray Chaduri, who is a executive leadership and women's empowerment coach. Jewel, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. I'm really enjoying this. Well, thank you. And so the first thing I want to ask you is about what I was mentioning in the introduction, which is what disempowering messages are in the ambient environment where most people are going. I don't think that many people are not subject regularly to messages of disempowerment. I identified a few sources, but I'm just curious from your perspective, what I may have missed. Are there other places where people are hearing a lot of things that are disempowering to them? Well, first of all, a lot of it is what we're telling ourselves. So we have these, I'm going to call them little parrots, Los Laros, who sit on our shoulder and they're our inner critic, our judge. And they come up with all these messages. And a lot of the message, especially for women, is around, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not competent enough. You fill in the blank, and that's what it is. And those judges help us to tell those disempowering stories. So a lot of times you mentioned being in victim mode. A lot of times we don't even start because we're hearing the message. No, you can't go after that job. You have no experience there. Or wait till you get this degree or that degree. And then you can have whatever you want. So would you say that the number one thing as far as anyone who needs more empowerment, which I would say is almost everybody, but you can correct me on that. The number one thing is the messages we tell ourselves every single day. Yes, because we're told those messages when I was about 16 years old in high school. And I can remember what somebody said to me. And I've carried that message for a very long time. <laughs> And sometimes you don't even realize that the message is there. It comes from your past. But now there are things that bring it forward. So my message was about speaking mm -hmm. and talking. And I carried that into college where my throat would tighten if I raised my hand and things like that. Since then, I've learned to deal with it, obviously, because I was in training and development and I did have to speak and I'm speaking now. 
but we have to become aware of it. That's what's holding us back. And so it sounds like that first step is awareness, as you're saying, because it's hard to really stop these disempowering messages that we tell ourselves if we're not even aware that we're doing it. If you were to like think about the average person or, or even the average woman, because you work with women and said that the scenario tends to be a little bit different, how often do these disempowering messages, like how often are they being said within each woman's mind? And then also, how often are the women you work with when you start out even aware of how often these disempowering messages are being kind of processed through the mind or brought up through the mind? Those are interesting questions. <laughs> and I guess for some people, some people could, every time you get on a call or you're on a networking group, you say, this is really tough walking into a networking situation. What am I going to say? How am I going to behave? Nobody will talk to me. Those are all disempowering messages. When if we decide, hey, I'm going to get into this room and I'm going to have some fun with it and I'm going to see how many people I can meet. That's a different message to tell ourselves. A lot of times where the messages are just going <laughs> either positive or negative, but they're going, they're going off in our heads all the time. Now, awareness is key. As you know, I told you I'm an ontological coach, so I'm going to just bring that in for a second. And an ontological coach works with body, emotion, and language. Example, one of the things we would look at is what are the assessments or the judgment that you're making, right? So a lot of times what we do is we say, I'm not good at that, right? And that's a judgment or an assessment. It's a story also. I'm not good at that. In identifying the assessment, then we could start to look at reframing it and saying, okay, what's the evidence? We have a tendency to hold the negative rather than the positive. So if you've got 15 evaluations and one was negative, that's the one we'd be worrying about instead of the other 14. Taking that assessment and we would look at how can we reframe it? Kind of like the same story when you're talking about that one message you received when you were 16 years old and carrying that through, the messages, you're going to receive these messages. It's your choice as to which messages you carry through. And is it safe to say what you're trying to do is achieve this balance where, okay, you receive the negative, you see the positive. A lot of people focus so much on the negative, but there is a situation where you really aren't good at something. Earlier in my life, participating in karaoke nights that I am not a good singer, and there's not really anything I can do about that. Also, knowing that when you receive that 14 to 1 positive, or even 4 to 1 positive, that that probably means that you actually are good at something and that you're just telling yourself the story that you're not based on one person who may have happened to be having a bad day that day or something like that. In your karaoke, your bad singing, there's other things that karaoke may give you. You are able to get up in front of a room and just do it. And so the message to you might be, hey, I'm really good at getting up in front of people, showing that I can do that. 
if you chose to, you could learn. My question is, as far as these terrible stories we tell ourselves, what is the key first step that someone should do to get out of this bad pattern? Say someone's like really deep into that pattern. Look at what story you are telling yourself and then look for places where you can reframe the story. You know, hey, if I'm not good enough at this, I'm okay at it and I'm learning. I'm learning to be better. Anything that's going to stop us from moving forward is limiting. It's a limiting belief or limiting disempowering story, a negative assessment, all those things. Is there anything about, say, certain times of day or certain specific situations? Like, do you have a lot of clients that realize that every time I'm around this type of person or every time I'm in this kind of an office or it tends to be associated with my mid-afternoon energy crash or something like that where people need to be more mindful of that negative story seeping into their minds? And if you're conscious that it's going to happen at three o'clock, right? At three o'clock, somebody is going to walk into your office and you're going to be so upset by them, then there's some things you could possibly do before three o'clock. Get up and walk around. Instead of having them in your office, take them for a walk outside or change the environment a little, change what you're talking about, start in a different way and center yourself. Deep breathing before that three o'clock, you can really handle it. When we're centered, we have more choice. Somebody comes into our office, then we could usually handle that situation a little better. A lot of times what happens is during the day, we forget to breathe. We're not aware. And especially in the corporate world, I often say that we're talking heads without a body. One other question I have is whether or not beyond the awareness of what the negative story it is you're telling about yourself, are there general daily habits that people can do? I think of certain word choices A lot of people who are less confident will tend to, into their emails, texts, say things like, well, I could be wrong, or you could always change my mind. Put these things in there. Is stopping some of those word choices or picking more confident word choices another part of the equation that people can employ to try to get into that more empowered state of mind? Women especially have a tendency to say, I think this is the way it is, or I guess so, or we apologize a lot. In your view, what is the right balance between someone who is, say, apologizing too uh, too much or adding these lack of confidence words kind of like too low, and the people who reach a point where they're arrogant and they're expressing kind of maybe too much confidence in something that does actually have a decent amount of uncertainty in it? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Okay. So the opposite of being showing lack of confidence is showing is being out there. And what you're probably trying to do is hiding what's going on inside, kind of bringing it into balance. 
if we believe this is who I am, I don't need to, I'm going to say, puff myself up. I think we've all had encounters with these types of people who either express way more certainty about something, say it's a an issue that the public is divided 50-50, but they're like 100% certain that they're 100% right on, or their way of doing things is the only way to do things, even though there are plenty of successful people that have completely different ways of operating. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of the times, if someone shouldn't say express uncertainty in an unhealthy, disempowering way, but when there are multiple ways to do things, there is a way to be empowered and still not claim you know everything, essentially. Yeah. And the thing is, we have something called enemies of learning and friends of learning. And sometimes in those friends of learning, we have to say, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Doesn't mean I can't find out an answer or explore something, a way of looking at something. But being right, you have to ask yourself, why am I so locked into being right? Is it because I want to prove that I know everything, that I'm an expert on this? And then you have to ask yourself, you know, experts sometimes don't know the answers. Especially in scientific fields where people can spend decades and decades focusing on something and studying something and still have a lot of uncertainty because they're very complicated processes. Different sides of a continuum. And part of it sounds like you talk about there's confidence in knowing like your opinion or your thoughts on something is right. And there's also confidence in who you are. And you talk about a lot of people you work with, a lot of women having this, I am not enough. And I'm wondering if this need to have like, oh, the right opinion or knowing all the facts and knowing that you have like Wikipedia memorized in your brain or something like that can possibly come from this idea of people, anyone feeling like I am not enough and needing to get to the place where people feel like, okay, this is who I am and who I am is enough and who I am is something that should be validated. One of my three points is that you have more power than you think you have. And power is choice. I can be authentic. I am who I am. That's very empowering. That shows we have power. And so you talk about the power of choice. It sounds like you mentioned the power of choosing what narrative you're telling yourself in your brain or what people you're going to listen to. What other choices do a lot of your clients make that can be either empowering or disempowering depending on how they do it? I think deciding, making certain decisions, really, here it comes back to self-awareness. When I'm self-aware, you know, there's choices whether to stay in a job or to leave it, or to do something in the job, or maybe not even leave it, maybe not leave the company, but look for something else, another avenue or add something to the job that perhaps wasn't there before. A lot of what's going on now is, especially for midlife, mid-career people, is, and for women, is that all there is? So if we can realize that there are other possibilities than just 
I need to be on this career path or I'm going to leave. There's other alternatives. Mm -hmm. And then so you help these women find these other alternatives. What I'm wondering is the first step is figuring out who you are. How hard is it from the step of figure out who you are then to the figure out, well, what is it that I want? What possibility do I want to go out with this expanded view of what the possibilities are? Some people don't know, but it's there. It's asking people what's important to them. Maybe going back, there's a Jungian therapist, I think his name is Murray Stein. And he says, when you're in midlife, you go back to the things when you were 15 years old. If you haven't fulfilled some of those 15-year-old things that perhaps you did and then you dropped it, you go back and you find them or you find other things. I'll give you another example. I did work in a corporation. We had a corporate gym. We had a dance teacher who came to our corporate gym and taught us dancing. And I kind of gave that up. After a certain age, I didn't really dance that much anymore. And I went back to taking dance lessons. And that was something that I really loved. Sometimes we're picking up things and sometimes something outside of our work can give us the fulfillment to be able to do our work or give us a new perspective. So when you're working with your clients and you're talking about all this this expanded range of possibilities, do you ever have clients that will just express, I guess, some form of shock at like a possibility that they had never even thought to consider as like something that can be done in life? Because a lot of people do come from this narrow framework, like, oh, I have my job. I just need to get a promotion. I just need to get this good review, get my 4% raise, which will not keep up with inflation now. I guess people can be shocked, but there's also the joy at realizing there's more than you had thought about. And a lot of joy comes from something that's like initially shocking. And I even think I live in Colorado where it's a lot of skiing. And the first time anyone tries to ski, it can be a little bit scary. And the same thing can be said of entrepreneurship or even as you probably encounter quite a bit, just the first time someone actually asserts themselves. And when they were kind of accustomed to always just rolling over, giving in or giving into what someone else wants. There's many ways to look at things. You just have to see it in a different way. And that's one of my other points. Energy follows intention, or for me, seek and ye shall find. If you're looking for something, chances are you will find it. I'll give you a quick example. I want you to look around, Stephen. I'm looking just for the audience benefit. I'm looking at my home, which is where I've been recording all my podcasts, but I'm looking around at a bookcase, a a two-thirds done puzzle, a kitchen, stuff like that. I want you to see if you can find yellow. Oh, yeah. And there's a yellow leaf in the, a bunch of yellow leaves in this puzzle on the table here. Any place else you see it? I have a few books that are yellow. Uh, Conscious Capitalism is yellow. So is uh, Chris Gillibo's Side Hustle, The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Now, if I didn't mention the word yellow to you, would you have realized that you, would you have thought about yellow? Probably not because it's not the dominant color. I mean, the wood floor is not yellow. The black bookcase is not yellow. 
we got you thinking about yellow now. Mm-hmm. And then and, you find it. And then you find it. So you're saying the key is to actually think about, and I feel like there's a trap here where a lot of people spend more time and I fall into this trap myself thinking about what they don't want as opposed to what they do want. I had a good friend of mine put it in a really interesting way when he told me, you don't plan a trip to Hawaii by thinking about how you don't want to take a trip to South Africa. You plan a trip to Hawaii by looking at hotels in Hawaii, airfare to Hawaii. And so that's the thing is a lot of it is getting your clients to stop thinking about what they hate, stop thinking about what they don't want and start actually thinking about. So they start looking for what they do want. You need to know the destination. You need to know that you that Hawaii is the place you're going to go. Otherwise, you could be going down the street and, and that could be your vacation. You need to know that. So that destination is really key. And the way you achieve that destination may not be the straight path that you think it's going to be. And that's important because that's another opening up more possibilities and reframing thing. People are so attached to that specific linear often path. This is what I was thinking about this morning, that our paths aren't linear. Knowing what you really care about, what's important to you. If my choice is to get to Hawaii by tomorrow, in some ways, I've limited that choice. Now, if something happens, I can't get to Hawaii by that path. Then I'm going to have to think of all different ways to get to Hawaii, right? If that's what I'm seeing as my vision. So I wanted to touch base a little bit on the ontological, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, aspect of your coaching, because you're talking about body language or what we specifically do with our bodies. Is that correct? I'm not talking about body language. Okay. I'm talking about body posture and movement. So it's how you move, right? For example, I'm going to ask you to tell me a story. And I want you to tell that story with a contracted body. So like hunched over, crossed, like your arms folded over like that? Yeah. Let's add a little sadness to it. I mean, should it be a sad story or should it be any story? Any story, but you're going to tell us in this body of hunched over. And so, Stephen, tell me how you are today and what's going on for you. Today, I'm really glad that I'm not, I was sick all last week. I'm really glad I can once again go back to eating the types of food that I, I like eating. But I got to be cautious because I don't want to gain any more weight. I have a couple of really key discussions, some networking, some meetups with people later in the afternoon. And uh, then tomorrow, I'm going to fly off to Chicago to visit my family. So, Stephen, yeah. I'm sensing that you weren't smiling as you were telling the story. What was going yeah. on inside of you? Well, part of it was I was actually clutching myself so much to maintain that body posture. And it kind of possibly made me focus a little bit more on the limitations, right? It might've been even what made me think of, well, I can eat whatever I want now, but I don't want to gain weight. Okay. Now, same story, extended. So I want to put my arms out. You can, but just that open chest. 
just an open posture, open chest, kind of like out to the world. Yeah. How are you doing, Stephen? Tell me what's going on for you. Doing pretty good. I always love recording my podcast. I always love these types of discussions, and I'm happy to be sharing them with my audience. Yesterday, I did 38 miles of bike riding around because I'm going to Chicago. It's going to be kind of a little chilly there. I'm not going to get a chance to really do a lot of outdoor stuff. So I rode my bike all the way up Ralston Creek to this reservoir, which was really interesting. Great ride. I rode home really fast. I had some music going on in my head, which is really cool. And then I watched the American Song Contest, which I've been enjoying. And I particularly enjoyed the song from the state of Delaware, even though it doesn't look like that one's going to win. So what did you do in this one that you didn't do in the other one? Well, obviously, like for some reason, the how are you, I I naturally, for some reason, talked about different things. And you used words like great. You talked about bike riding. You were animated in what you were talking about. Different feel from the other person that showed up before. So you're saying is that things just like your posture... I think it was the Jordan Peterson book that talked about standing up straight and having your shoulders back, things like that, that those things about your posture can really impact just the way you even present yourself to the world, even if you're not even aware of it. You're not aware of that, this particular posture, this particular mode. Does this include things like how fast you're walking or Mm -hmm. whether or not you're like looking one of the stereotypes I often have is that someone's in a really good state of mind, they're looking straight ahead more often. And if someone's like really depressed, they're more likely looking down at the ground. And so they're not making eye contact with you. Yeah, essentially. It's how we also move our rhythm as we're walking. You can see someone who's walking really, really fast. That's the person. The vision is there. I got to go. It's determination. Right. You can see somebody walking. They're kind of sauntering along the street, looking at all the windows. That's more a lyrical, flexible way of walking. We need different postures for different situations. We can really say to ourselves, oh, maybe I need determination to get that goal accomplished. Or maybe in this setting with these people that I'm having a meeting with, maybe I don't have to be, it's this way, it's going to be this way. Maybe I have to listen for ideas. And that's a different posture there. I need that openness in order to allow their ideas in. It was about maybe six weeks ago-ish, I was up at Keystone Mountain skiing And at the end of the day, we're all kind of taking off our boots. We're all putting our skis back in the car, getting ready to go home. This random woman is like playing music in a car, maybe across the aisle for me. And she suddenly looks at me and we start dancing to the beat of the music. And the people that were with me kept saying, Steve, you always have random people. You always like make random friends wherever you go. And I'm wondering if that difference in experience could possibly have anything to do with all this stuff about your posture, about where you're looking, about how you look to the world. How did she initiate that it would be you dancing or did you just start? I noticed the music, right? And she was like dancing. And then she just like looked back at me as I noticed the music and just said, 
we're having a little dance party right now. Okay. So you were open to it. Whatever your body posture was in that moment, you were open. So yeah. So she looked at you and you were a welcome participant. It's going into a networking session and kind of saying, I belong here. I'm going in there and I'm going to meet five people and I'm going to really enjoy myself. And just throwing yourself saying, I'm confident about it, as opposed to, hey, I'm going to go to this networking event and I'm going to stand in the corner so nobody realizes that I'm there. And so these things are related. You're saying the stories that you're telling yourself and then the posture that you exhibits the world, they're connected to one another. And if you're starting to tell these, I belong, I am worth it, I am enough messages to yourself, your posture is more likely to be the kind of posture that displays confidence and empowerment and a lot of these things that you work with your clients on. And then one final question I wanted to ask about is that, so you are a um, you know women's empowerment coach. So you work exclusively or primarily with women? Primarily with women. I'll take on a man. So. <laughs> so I've asked this question of a couple other guests on the podcast with similar pursuits, but it's always good to get more perspectives on it. What do you think is the reason as to why this feeling you're enough, this empowerment, this not taking that one message someone told you when you were 16 and letting it fester for you for a decade is more of an issue with women? Well, because I've worked with women, it's easier for me to answer it. It doesn't mean that men don't feel it, but they are the dominant culture. Their narrative is different, um, I think, especially in a work setting. A man might say something like, oh, it's done. Let's move on to the next thing. Right? Do you ever ex- possibly experience that where a woman will dwell on it, you know, a little bit longer? Oh, well, gee, I didn't do it that way. There's that where a man will, I think, more easily say, okay. And yeah, and these are all like kind of generalizations. Obviously, there are always going to be a lot of counterexamples to any of these. And I just want to make sure anyone listening understands that like not everyone fits the mold and not every experience is what people expect from someone based on their gender or any other identity thing. And, you know, identity is not who you are. I know women, I've studied their experiences of power. So I know what I hear it more from women. I'm sure men experience also powerlessness and it's going to look different. Yeah. I mean, anyone can experience powerlessness. And I think part of your message is also that anyone can experience empowerment, no matter who you are. If you change the story, you tell yourself, you change your posture, your, all that, uh, what's the word ontological. I, the word gets tripped in my head quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's your way of being, your way of being. So it's expressed through your body, emotion, and language. So definitely. And then if anyone listening out there, now that we've 
learned a little bit about how you work and what kind of people you serve. If anyone listening out there is interested in getting a hold of you, what would be the best way someone would contact you? It would be through email. Okay. It's Jewel, J-E-W-E-L, at Jewel Ray Shadori.com. So it's J E W E L R A Y C H A U D H U R I.com. And I have a website, as you've seen, but I'm in the process of moving to a new website. And that's why the email will be the easiest for now. And if anybody would like my free gift, I have two. You've taken the power wheel, the wheel of personal power. So if anybody would like that one, just email me. And then the other one is a three-step guide for getting from no time to plenty of time, even before retirement. Oh, well, that, that's fascinating. Feeling it. And people like to have time to go after the pursuits they really want, even outside their career. Just email me. I also have a free revisioning my life session. So you can also take advantage of that. Well, that is wonderful. And uh, Jewel, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, telling people what they can do just some of the more basic things we can all do to try to reclaim some of this, because like, as you always say, people have more power. Most people have more power than they think they have. And one of the things is, of course, you have the power over your daily choices. You have the power over how you're going to respond to that. You have the power over what messages you internalize, what messages you repeatedly tell yourself, regardless of these environmental factors, such as your good friend that's very risk averse and very much in this whole discouraged victimhood mentality or what the media, I think the media is very disempowering myself because everything's a problem that's external. And then you're just fucked for lack of a better way to put it, you know, or anything that happens at your work that you have the power to say, okay, you just gave me this feedback about myself, but I'm not going to accept that narrative. I'm not going to accept that your negative feedback, you can't do this, is not something that I'm going to accept and internalize and bring to myself. So I love that message. I hope that everyone listening out there, if you haven't already kind of gotten to a place where you've reclaimed that power, you can start working toward that. And I'd like to thank everyone out there for listening, encourage you to tune back into Actions Antidotes for more episodes or go and visit some of the older episodes where there are some similar discussions about this and some discussions about many other types of topics because lots of people out there, lots of great, amazing pursuits. And I'd like to wish you all a wonderful day. 